Today on Rebuilders, we have our end of year special. It is it is an extravaganza. It is a Christmas celebration. It's an end of year celebration. It's a holiday spe- seasonal spectacular. Perfect. What have we got on? Well, nothing that spectacular. <laughs> um, we've, we've effectively got... Um, Really, I think we're looking forward to what is coming in the next year. We know that many leaders who are listening are at sort of a pivotal moment. So what are the five postures that God is inviting us to step into or what are five postures to step into in the next season? Mm. Um, And uh, so we really hope today's an encouragement, uh, a bit of a challenge in there, Uh, but uh, we really hope today ministers to you. it sort of turned a bit different at the end, didn't it? Did. it turned it a little did. bit older Stick call. Around. Stick around. <laughs> Don't fast forward though, because it'll be out of context. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Daniel and I'm here with Mark. How are you, Mark? I'm very well. We must um, let the listeners uh, know that unfortunately we don't have Liddy with us today. Correct. Uh, but we miss her presence uh, but we have uh, your wonderful yeah. self on on screen, jumping behind them for the, the people to see you, yeah, not just a <laughs> computer AI <laughs> generated voice that we devised. Would be pretty good though if we'd got to the point that my voice was like that's better than Siri. My voice, <laughs> your voice. I think we can end that's, now, that's, and we can just send out a subscriber email as Daniel's voice is better than Siri. Siri. Mm. No, we've made it. Yeah, <laughs> take that apple. <laughs> Um, well, we are wrapping up for the year. It's been yeah. a, uh, an extensive year, but it's also been an extensive couple of years. Yeah. We've been, we really, we did a kind of the first season of this podcast back in 2019, the Living mm. Temple, we called mm. it. And then we kind of relaunched beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. March last year. And of, I don't know, in some ways, do you feel like we're kind of coming out the other side or... Well, yeah, I looked, it was March 18th, so it was like pretty, like, you know, I I remember we were doing it in that other room and it was just all happening. It was crazy. It was like people walking through the room and we just (laughs) didn't even care. (laughs) um, Yeah, I mean, it does, like, I mean, Melbourne, you know, and Australia, I think Australia's hit 90 plus first dose. Mm -hmm. Melbourne's hit 90% double dose and, you know... um, you know, Australia's in a good place to be protected. We're hitting our summer in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. Uh, but then I guess also you're looking at what's happening in Europe at the moment and um, with the onset of winter. So it sort of feels like things are, you know, coming out here, everything's, yeah, you know, yeah. lockdown's gone. They're telling us we won't go back into a lockdown with such high vaccination rates. So it does feel like things are coming out, at least here, but I know there's probably other people listening where they feel like maybe they're going back in. Mm. Uh, seeing places in you know, Germany and Northern Europe and stuff like that. So... Yeah, our, our hearts are with anyone who um, yeah. is again locked down yeah. um, at this moment. Yeah, well, we thought it'd be good as we yeah come to a close this year for Rebuilders just to um, to do a bit of an episode around just as an encouragement and an invitation into um, the next season mm. um, of sorts. So I'll hand over to you. Love mm. to love for you to kick it off um, yeah. with yeah some of this environment mm. that uh, that we've been in. Mm. Well, I think you know, I was trying to think about like what's the big if we're going to sort of do our end of year special. It's not end a Christmas year. special, is it? Really? Um, Put some jingle bells behind yeah, us or something. Photoshop some um, <laughs> decorations in later. Um, but I think like the big theme is the environment has changed. Yeah. And uh, you know when COVID hit, a lot of people felt it was going to be this six week thing, maybe a two month thing, maybe a six month thing, maybe a year thing. 
but the environment that leaders are operating in has radically changed mm. and it's about more than the pandemic as we've been learning on this on this podcast so just to summarize real quick you know in a sense we've been saying the normal is not returning um, it's not a new normal in some ways. It's actually a return to how the world's always been, which is this sort of chaotic, conflicted place that's yeah. often very complex. And in many ways, we'd sort of bought a myth that had grown up in the last sort of 20 years that life could be this wonderful, comfortable place. Uh, but we're returning to a new normal and we're returning returning to a transitional stage, which we've talked about. You can go back and listen, this gray zone, yep, yep. which if history is organized into periods or epochs or eras, gray zones are the transitional in-between space, which are confusing because they contain elements of the era that's passing, but also elements of the era to come. There's no agreement on what ethics are. There's no agreement on what's happening. Mm. There's competing forces trying to sort of take power and hold ground. And in many ways, gray zone requires a different mode of leadership. And so I think that's been one of the big themes this year we've been trying to help people work through. Um, and uh, hopefully we've managed to pull off at least some of that. Yeah. And I guess what I wanted to talk about today is that we need new postures then for this new period that we're moving into this gray zone. And the reason that I use the term postures um, mm. is at Red, we're very big into practices. Yeah. And, um, you know, we had all kinds of practices and we did rule of life like about three or four years ago. And I think it was really helpful stuff. But I just noticed that when the pandemic came and the environment changed so rapidly, a lot of people found it really difficult to keep doing some of the practices that they'd yes, done before. Yes. How do you take a sort of day Sabbath um, uh, when, you know, all of a sudden you're in a pandemic and you're an essential worker or your kids are at home and, yep. you know, it's schooling and all of these things. And so many people we heard from were really struggling to have their practices. And I realize practices are, are basically something that you you do and that's responsive to a particular set of circumstances, whereas a posture enables you to take the correct practices mm. as the environment may change. So in a sense, a posture is translocational. Yes. It's not dependent on the environment. Um, so that's what I thought would be good. Instead of saying like, here's the post the practices for the next season, because we don't know what the future looks like, it could change radically. Here's actually some postures, um, which enables people to apply that in their context and in changing contexts. Great, love that. Um, so we've got five, uh, five new postures, um, yeah, to, to step into, to consider. Do you want to kick us off with the first one? A new posture of joy. I know. It's probably not what people are expecting. <laughs> hey, I'm for it. Um, I, there, there's something really countercultural about the idea of joy. And I feel mm. like what has been happening in this last two years has been this great recalibration for many leaders and for the world. We live uh, particularly in the developed world and you know, in many Western countries um, with this idea of happiness. And yes, yeah, happiness yeah, yeah. is something that we assume is just normal or hardwired into culture, something that we would just assume is part of being human. But I would argue that actually there's sort of a cultural structure to happiness that we've taken on board that has not always been there throughout history. Uh, it's very feelings driven, our concept of happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we have come to believe that if you're not feeling, or two things, one, if you're not feeling good feelings all the time that something's wrong. Yeah. And then secondly, we've actually, I think, engendered a belief in, in, in ourselves and in our culture that it is actually possible to always find some form of happiness. 
And in many ways, this sort of feelings-driven model of happiness is, you know, related to these hits, these these bursts of pleasure yeah. that we yeah, look for. Yeah. We live in a very hedonistic, epicurean society which places pleasure at the centre. Yeah. And um, there's an interesting book, um, uh, uh, I haven't read all of it but read parts of it, um, by Anna Lemke called Dopamine Nation. I want to finish it. Uh, but she talks about she talked about the US, but I think it's applicable further afield. That in many ways, our sort of understanding of happiness and what a good life is is a life where you're experiencing constant dopamine hit. Yeah. So you okay, think about okay. it. You have a, a pastry. Mm. Had, to, had to bring it in in the last episode. We, we did. We didn't have any pastries. Today. Well, I sort of feel like we're moving into a new era. It is, yeah. yeah. Pastries were the dopamine hits <laughs> of the grey zone for us, um, as we discovered last week. Um, but you know, it could be food. Yep. It could be a new experience, even a holiday. It could be the adventure holiday. It's all these dopamine hits. Yep. It's you know the 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 sense you get when you look at uh, your Instagram feed and some you know a bunch of people have liked a picture. Um, it can be yeah, sexuality has been placed, sexual pleasure has been placed as, almost as a core foundational part of mm, our culture. Mm. Again, very linked to sort of these dopamine hits and this brain chemistry. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, we've, we've put that central to our culture, but interestingly, in a sense, it's being used against this great little quote from uh, Anna Lemke. Um, she says, the relentless pursuit of pleasure and avoidance of pain leads to pain. Hmm. And I think those hmm. first two parts of that, that the relentless pursuit of pleasure, that's been our culture. Yep. That's uh, often how people have seen leadership, that there's this idea that has become central in our culture. Like, you know, I think about my, my grandfather's generation where, you know, people didn't do a job expecting it to, to deliver them some sort of happiness and yeah, deep yeah. sense of meaning. Yes. They did a job to put food on the table. Yeah. And, um, but we now have recalibrated the idea of vocation that it's something that will provide you with these dopamine hits. If you're in, an, if you're in a job and it's not providing you with these constant dopamine hits, something's wrong. Yes. The second part of that too is avoidance of pain. Again, so central that we believe that happiness should always be there that it's possible to always be happy. And if we're not feeling happy, in fact, if we're feeling the opposite of happiness, whether it's sad or whatever, there's this element that that's now seen as a great tragedy. Yes, so it's yes. almost a utopian idea around emotions that we've sort of generated. So think about how this affects leadership. Um, so, well, first of all, this is true of the people we lead. So leadership can be reconfigured as, well, a good leader then is someone who is on board with the program of making people feel happy, yeah, having dopamine yeah, yeah. hits. Yeah. Secondly, stops bad stuff happening or bad feelings happening um, and helps us avoid pain. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and that completely warps leadership. And that's actually been happening. I mean, that needs to be named and called out that that's warped leadership and it's warped ministry. Um, but also that's true of leaders as well. We have seen leadership as something which if we do it right and if people recognize our leadership, this is unspoken, but I, I, a lot of leaders I think have picked this up, that therefore we'll be rewarded. Yes, yes. We'll be rewarded with perhaps affirmation or yes. success or these metrics where we can go, look, I've done well and I'm getting this sense of meaning, dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. That event well, went well, dopamine hit. That video I put up, explaining that thing from our service that got lots of likes, dopamine hit. Yes, that yes. person came up and encouraged me, dopamine hit. That event was just fantastic and, you know, felt something in the room, dopamine hit. Yeah. And I think what's happened with COVID and, again, COVID's just the beginning of it and it's not just COVID, it's then 
polarization and difficulty and not being able to meet and people going through suffering, people dying, people being sick, all of the cultural stuff that's happening. And what we see coming down the road is that I think a lot of people are going, I'm a leader. Leadership is not delivering those feelings mm-hmm. of happiness. Mm-hmm. Do I continue? Yeah. Now I don't want to. I don't want to boil that down to everyone's questions around their leadership journey simply because they're just wanting dopamine hits. But I recognise it myself. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, I recognise it in everyone. There's this sense that things we've come to believe that if everything's comfortable and there's not conflict, or everything's comfortable and we're in control. That therefore, that's that's good, and we get a feedback loop from that. Yes, yes. So, of joy. How is joy different? Yeah. So, so I'm advocating here that there's an invitation. So the answer here is not well. Let's all just be depressed and and you know become goths or something. Um, not that there's anything wrong with goths. Um, and uh, uh, <laughs> can we do a deep dive into goths? I would what love to. Visigoths is that the. Or am I, no, no, is that a no. Tangent? Well, there is the Visigoths. That's completely correct. I'm more speaking <laughs> of the subculture. Maybe that speaks of my my vintage. I've had lots of goth friends. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> joy, joy. Um, uh, so, so joy is spoken about in scripture. Mm. Scripture talks about that believers will have this sense of joy. Where does joy come from? If you think about it, happiness, these dopamine hits, are given to us when there is a set of circumstances in the earthly context, that environment that we're in, which is delivering us this pleasure. Yes. Joy is not about your earthly circumstances. Mm. And you read these stories of Christians who have been imprisoned by their faith and still have joy. Um, And... This is another worldly kind of experience. It's actually not, it is, it does touch and connect the world of feelings, but this is coming somewhere from outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and when we do that, we're recalibrating, you know, God's great mission in the world. He sent Jesus into the world to do ministry, to announce the kingdom, to die on the cross, to be resurrected on the third day, um, because heaven was breaking into the world. And so when we when we step into this posture of joy instead of just a dopamine-driven happiness, um, that's actually bringing heaven to earth. Hmm. And so my real challenge, and, and I, I'm not going to say I have all the answers for this, but one of the questions that I'm asking, you know, like the other night I felt this, I was just like, you know, our cities emerged from lockdown. There's, you know, protests still happening. There's this sense you look on the news all around the world, so much bad news at this point in time. Ministry is tough at this moment, you know. We're coming back from a massive period of not being able to meet in person and it's different, it's challenging. And there's this constant like battery where you're not getting dopamine hits of good. Mm. You can, you know, sit on your phone and try and eat a donut or something to get your <laughs> dopamine hit, have another pastry. But it doesn't satisfy. But I think this is actually... Joy is a choice in saying yes to God's bigger truth in our lives. So I feel like there's this invitation for leaders to actually say, you may not, I can't give you three points how to do this, mm. but what I can do is, is say that if you say to God, how do you move me from the path of an earthly happiness determined by the circumstances because the circumstances have changed? And I can't promise people say, look, better days around the corner because everything's going to be fantastic in six months. Yeah. But we can plug back into the source of intimacy uh, in Jesus 
and recalibrate ourselves to a heavenly standard. And mm. out of that heavenly standard flows joy. Yeah. When we're close to the vine. That's good. Love that. Um, all right. The next one, new posture of faith. Well, this one and the one that's to follow in a sense are linked to joy. Yeah. Just alongside this sense that there's this uncomfortability in the world. There's also fear in the world. And there is this deep culture of fear emerging. A lot of talk about anxiety. Anxiety has been a huge issue that people have been speaking really over the last sort of 10 years. And it's gotten more and more traction as people talk about both their cultural, the culture of, of anxiety, personal struggles with anxiety. Yes, yes. But I think actually what's happening is we're moving from a culture of anxiety, which sometimes has been, I think, rooted in this idea of how the individual life project was seen in contemporary culture, that you were called to self-create and you were called to perform at this level. And there's been people talk about the high performance nature of mm. uh, contemporary well, life. And almost links back to what you were talking about here with ha happiness and dopamine hits, like trying to curate something, yes. a life, like you're looking for that sense of me. Or like happiness yes. from within, yes, and I suppose yes. that not being achieved, yes, there's this gap which is somewhat anxiety. And and part of it is that that if if you're in a highly competitive environment where people are able to project an image of success, yes, and you're not living up to that, um, uh, you blame yourself. Yeah, yeah, you know. And we, we've spoken before. It's it's a common pastoral problem in the last five mm. to ten years oh, of, yeah. of people coming to you going, I feel really down about my life because I look at my friend so and so and their life looks amazing, and then four weeks later, friend so and so comes along and says, I'm really depressed looking <laughs> at the person who you just spoke to because their life's amazing. Yeah. So this is sort of charade going on, um, but essentially, I think we're moving from anxiety, and, I, and again, to this many different nuances around anxiety. So I realize sure. I'm painting with a broad brushstroke here. But there's this sense where some of the anxiety that's cultural um, comes from the fail our, what feels like our failings and our shame around that in a high-performance culture where we can't live up to certain standards mm -hmm. and that it all could fall down. But we're moving from that, which is sort of almost that, as you said, that inner inner sense of anxiety to now it's external. Yeah, okay. Uh, COVID, um, polarization, this fear you see even in intellectuals around, you know, the cultures we've known, this liberal democracy is falling to fears around the environment, to fears around the economy, to fears around potential wars and, you know, all of this stuff. Mm. People's fears for their children rise in this moment. People's fears that the way cultures set up, they may never meet someone, you know, like relational breakdown. All of this stuff is tremendously uh, filling our world at the moment. Yep, yep. And, and the danger with fear is that, so that's the effect of fear, uh, sorry, that's the cause of fear. The effect is often then fear. You know, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of talk around triggers and all that sort of stuff today. But fear triggers something in us, and often what uh, fear then triggers, particularly when we get to sort of faith, is that fear then often is an off ramp hmm. on the road of faith. Hmm. And what it can do is like. Distraction, I've read a lot about distraction and focus. And focus, you can be really determined to focus on something, a task. What will distract you is something that has a deep and powerful emotional trigger. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, you know, if you had to do a task and I was, you know, like just say I got you to, I don't know, write a report or something. And, you know, and then I put some music on in the background and I was jumping around in the corner, waving at you, trying to um, get your attention. 
you may be able to block me out. Yeah. Um, but if I said to you, look, by the way, um, can you finish this report? But I just need to let you know that we've had some pretty strong criticism of you come in. That's going to be real effect, affect your future. Um, I'll share that with you after you after finish your report. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're like, oh, no, hang on, <laughs> tell me. Because it, 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 it gets us emotionally. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, advertisers know this. The media knows this, that increasingly, you know, um, you know, it, it's we're captured by anger and fear, and and it's it makes you click on a link. Yeah, and you know we're at this moment where we're seeing that fear then is an off ramp to faith, but also it's something that will trigger us and lead us into error and even idolatry. You know, we spoke about this last week that the people who are on the right who are fearing about the left will mm. often be pushed further to the right and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so I feel like this moment, again, this is, you know, we talked about the invitation to joy. In a culture of fear where you're looking forward, you're looking for what fear often comes from. We're looking at how are things going to play out and how I'm going to live my life in the yeah. next few decades, how I'm going to lead in the next few decades, how I'm going to have relationships in the next few decades, what my nation might go through in the next few decades, all the world. Yep. And I'm looking at the human earthly environment. Yeah. And- if that's not calibrating in a good way, I'm then fearful. But faith, faith is not dependent on earthly circumstances. Mm -hmm. Again, this is a recalibration to heaven. In a culture of fear where, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of red lights flashing on the dashboard right yeah. now. And that means we can't look to the future and have an earthly Earthly mm. faith, mm. faith in my country's good institutions, faith that the world leaders are going to do the right thing about the environment, faith that we can confront coronavirus and deal with it. If you haven't got faith in those things, that's understandable. But what what then uh, biblical, heavenly faith is something which comes from outside of us. It comes from yes. God. It's not just based on the environment and our prospects looking good. So I believe for leaders, there's this opportunity when there is so much fear around you, you've got people in your congregations coming to you with fear, you've got people who you lead coming to you with fear, family, friends, even yourself, that there is this invitation to first reorientate yourself around a faith that transcends mm. the environment and the future prospects, and others will look to that and be led by that example. Yeah, that's good. And I think often like, Fear really is a uh, a realization of loss of control. Yes, um, and faith is often a similar thing, but it's your we're called called to it. It's a we're actually handing over control to something bigger and, and yes. um, more powerful mm. and in control than we could ever be. Yes, um, which is I think a really helpful. Like being able to move from faith, uh, fear mm. to faith is actually not. A, big jump it's just mm. a, a posture change 100 percent. that's good mm. um next one new posture of hope a new hope <laughs> which which one was that which star was that was well the the, the, the first i know it's not the first because it was the prequels but they don't count okay okay it was yeah, the, yeah. So the original the fourth made the fourth made no the first made oh was the first was that the yeah, New Hope, Star Wars, A New Hope. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. I've seen it. Don't know the universe behind it, though. Um, anyway, <laughs> a posture of hope. There's, there's Star Wars fans getting angry at you as we <laughs> yes, speak, sorry. creating a, a culture oh. of fear and anger. Um, 
<laughs> I, I, we're, we're in this again gray zone moment. And as I said at the start, two things can be happening in a gray zone moment. There's particularly a sense, I think, which sort of emerged in the last decade of hope, this mm. high expectations, particularly for, I think, an emerging generation, particularly for many millennials, but also many others, uh, that, hey, uh, we can change the world. Uh, if you look at, Obama, we talked about, I think it was yeah. last week or the week before, uh, Obama's yep. um, you know, campaign poster, sort of iconic poster of just the word hope, hope in yep. his face. Yep. And um, there was this sense that there was big hope. You know, I remember his inauguration when he sort of came out, there was almost this palpable hope and mm. people felt that they'd sort of moved on from the Bush years or whatever was sort of, you know, as portrayed in the world and there was this big hope. You saw it in other elections, you know, saw it a bit with um, you know, here in Australia and so on with Kevin Rudd. And um, there was this sense that, you know, there's a new generation coming and we can remove things from the world. We can remove the difficulties of the past and yeah. um, this new move towards equality and getting rid of prejudices and stuff like that. Um, we began to see the resiliency of prejudices mm. <laughs> and, and hmm. um, things that people thought had disappeared actually were still prevalent. And uh, as technology got better, uh, technology enabled us to reveal things which were injustices. A uh, mobile phone could film uh, something like, you look at the, um, uh, you know, what happened with the Arab Spring when yeah. it was actually the, the video footage of a Tunisian um, vendor who set himself on fire to protest sort of the injustice he saw in his country. That then sparks this huge social change. Hmm. And um, so there's this sense that the world could change, Occupy Wall Street, you know, so many different movements in the world, um, Black Lives Matter, you know, so many different things, Me Too, all of these different movements, farmers' rights movements we saw from everywhere from the Netherlands to India. And so there's been this big move of hope, yet at the same time there's also this increasing sense of despair that these things aren't changing, that mm. they're more resilient and almost the response uh, has, has changed. It's sort of gone from this broad-based coalition of we can change the world to an increasingly sort of fractious sometimes yeah. sort of uh, uh, pitting people against each other response to try and change what's happening in the world. And a lot of the ways that we've spoken about and responded to the things that are difficult in the world um, uh, you know, have actually taken almost bigger pictures. The p picture of the world increasingly has grown that the world is is overrun with, you know, prejudice and, and racism and sexism and economic corruption and, and all these things. And there's an element, you know, so, so that, that the programs that we've been set in place uh, and promise that we can eradicate these things if we look at this from a biblical perspective, we've got to look at it in two ways. Number one is the discovery that many people have felt coming of age into the world that sin is prevalent, it's everywhere, mm. it's individual, it's structural, it's systemic. Romans tells us that the world has fallen short of the glory of mm, God and yeah. that is everywhere that human culture touches. Yeah. That's the story of the fall. So in a sense, we, we've seen, yes, the world is fallen. It's not just all a wonderful Disneyland experience and all the things that we struggled with are not all in the past. That was a great myth of modernity. Um, the second element of that though is the other things that scripture tells us is that redemption can't come from humans. Mm. All our programs, Israel wanted a king uh, and, uh, you know, it wanted to bring about justice and rule and order yeah. through looking to the ways of the nations. Yeah. It wanted a king and, and, you know, God said to Israel, yeah, you'll do this, but it will actually, this program of change that you want, 
this human-driven political program will actually lead you into another form of slavery. Mm. You've mm. left Egypt under oppression, but your program to actually stop oppression in your own strength yeah. will actually fall short. And so what that means is there will be change in the world, but it's not going to be the systemic, widespread change that we want because we can see sin at this point in time, perhaps with a clearer lens, even though we miss some sins. And so I hmm. predict that what we're going to see is, is, is a coming crash of nihilism hmm. when it may happen in five years, it may happen in 10 years, it may happen in 20 years, but there's a sense where this great hunger to move these things from the world, that the world isn't getting better. The great progress myth of modernity is looking more and more fraught. Yeah. And when we find ourselves in 10 years in a conflicted competing world, um, where these movements um, that often often what happens to is movements of change themselves who are working against corruption can often become corrupted themselves. Yeah, yeah. So all human-driven programs will fall short. And we saw this in the 60s. In the 60s, you had tremendous hunger to change. Uh, and then by 1968, it felt like the wheels were falling off from the Manson murders to the uh, you know Altamont Speedway Rolling Stones concert and and it sort of then went into the seventies of you know it just felt like things got more corrupt and then sort of the you know individualism of the eighties or whatever you want to call it and there's this sense that I think that there is a, a, a hopelessness coming um, and it's already here so again too this is another invitation if we need joy a mm. heavenly posture of joy yeah. if we need a heavenly posture of faith yeah. we need a hope that does not come from earthly standards yes, from yes. the nations uh, if you like and so you know i think that there's this invitation at this moment as we fall into a culture of of perhaps growing hopelessness um, as you know, uh, some people have said the coronavirus and how the world's responded is is a test run for what comes with the environment. You know, the challenges are coming, um, the decay of institutions, and uh, you know. So again, we're invited not to look at these through these things with an earthly lens. We're called to actually hold on to a biblical hope that comes from from heaven into the world. Mm. And our hope is is not in a political program. Our hope is in Jesus. Yeah, it's good. And it comes as a baby. Jesus comes, the hope comes into the world as a baby in a manger. It, yeah. it, it feels vulnerable and it feels s small and, and sometimes insignificant compared to these big global issues. But actually that baby grows into the Messiah and the yeah. savior of the world and his yeah. death on a cross, which there won't be crowds watching. Uh, the rising from the grave that happens and, and, you know, Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener in this completely surprising mm -hmm. way. That, that's breaking out at this moment. That is our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in kingdom. Our hope is in God bringing history towards his ends. And so I feel like we need to then push into this hope, which is going to be countercultural. Yeah, there are yeah, going to be totally. voices of doom. And, you know, I know that often the stuff that we talk about on here is challenging, but it's always pushed back to the hope is in Jesus, yeah. you know? Yeah. If, if you're coming away from listening to Rebuilders or whatever, going, oh, actually, I think we can pull this off. No, no, you can't. <laughs> that's, the, that's the depressing message. But with Jesus, you can be used yeah, by him yeah. and he's going to bring history towards his ends. So the countercultural hope found in following Jesus' way and his kingdom and the breaking in of salvation history in our world is countercultural yet stubbornly infectious. Mm. Is everyone going to follow it? No. Are people going to get nihilistic and panicky and despairing? And maybe that'll be like the 60s where they turn the search inwards or maybe they'll turn back to money or they'll sell out their values, whatever it may look like. Um, 
there will be people who do that, but there's going to be a remnant, a core, which presses into that biblical hope. And, and we need to be leaders who are filled with hope, not rubbish, like self-helpy, you can do it, motivational speaking hope, but actually biblically grounded, mm. eternal, heavenly uh, sourced hope. Yeah, um, and so I feel like, just last comment on hope, Hope is a, uh, I wrote a book, Reappearing Church, which is all about the hope for renewal. And I think when that book came out, it, it, it responded to a real hunger for renewal out there. And I think there's a lot of people who are like, man, the culture's looking bad, secularism's here, this is gonna hurt. And so please, renewal come soon. Yeah. <clears throat> Revival breakout now, awakening come yesterday. <laughs> I am fully prepared that, it may not come on my timetable. And so what I feel this season of hope is, hope, I think biblical hope is a combination of perseverance where I'm gonna keep believing in renewal and awakening. Even if the world gets darker, I'm still gonna believe in the dawn. And also expectation, because there's a danger that perseverance, you know, eventually can turn to dismay. Mm. So we need a combination of perseverance if, if, it's on God's timetable, not ours, yeah. and expectation. Perseverance and expectation is the kind of biblical hope we need in this season. Oh, I love that. Um, well, a passage I read a couple of days ago, which I think cap- captures the posture of joy, posture of faith, and posture of hope. Um, I think I'll just read before we move into the next posture. First um, Peter 1, uh, verse 3 to 9, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, Mm. spoil or fade. Mm. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, Mm. who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Mm. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor mm-hmm. when Jesus Christ is revealed. Mm. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Mm. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy mm. for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the mm. salvation of your souls. Um, and I love that because it, it, it points it points to something that's beyond us. It's beyond this mm. world. Um, mm. Yet yeah, it's, I know, just, just reading those words right now, I'm just like, you say, I feel the spirit kind of yes, yes. Um, calling, beckoning me to, mm. to something greater, to, to mm. lift my eyes. And, and yet you realize like when things aren't looking great, those scriptures come alive. Totally, totally. I mean, I remember in, in high school, I, I, I was not the best student. And, and I, I remember wagging, which is what we a term we use in Australia, wagging, which is like bunking class or not going skipping? to class, skipping class, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but I was, I, I would get fascinated by things, and um, which is still happening. <laughs> so, so weird. And uh, I just was, you know, I, I, you know, I sort of became quite serious. I sort of God intersected in my life at around sort of seventeen, and I think it was in my final year of high school, and. I remember just like becoming really fascinated with the civil rights movement in the US. And, and I remember reading all these books and, and nicking off to the library and reading them when <laughs> I was supposed to be in class. Read everything in my sort of high school you library. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but I remember what captured me was, 
in the civil rights movement, the story, particularly for the African-American church in the US, and you see these similar things in South Africa, that, that the story of the Exodus was real. Hmm. You know, for people who hadn't experienced uh, that discrimination, that sense of being in an exile in a country yeah. um, where it was your country but you're in exile because of your race, there was this sense that, you know, when you read the story of Moses, when you read Let My People Go, that wasn't an intellectual theological exercise. That wasn't just like, oh, I'm trying to get my head back to that time. There yeah. was an element that the experience they were living through connected with Scripture. And I think we missed, we missed that, that scriptures come alive in moments when things look great. And I don't even want to compare. I'm not saying our moment in any way mm. for many of us is even comparable to what people went through in, in the US through, you know, that experience or in South Africa through apartheid. But, but there is something that I just noticed there's a resonance to, mm-hmm. to these stories and scriptures when I can't put my hope in an earthly yes, thing yes. And, and they come alive. Yeah, I've read that before, but as you're just reading it, look, looking at this context in this moment, mm-hmm. there's, there's the spirit quickens our hearts as we hear the word and the word creates new worlds. Yeah, that's good. And I've definitely, like that's been so much of my experience this year and mm-hmm. I embarked on reading through the Bible in a year, um, beginning of the year and just like, I think particularly I never really, I struggled to engage with the Old Testament in many ways, but this year I think oh. <laughs> it's, it's come to, and it's it's comes alive in a new one. It's pointing to a, a to God in mm. in uh, in who is in control and mm. who does see His people and mm. who has the end in mind and all these mm. kind of things that I'm like, oh, that's actually really relevant, and important yes. in in my life in our world right now. Absolutely. Um, so. Back to scripture, always a, a yes. great place to start. Totally. Next, new posture of innovation. Posture of innovation. And what I don't mean is like theological innovation that, well, we need some new theology where we reinterpret the scriptures which we just spoke about yeah. through some you know, contemporary 21st century Western lens because you know, as we've seen throughout history, the minute you wed the age, you're divorced in the next. Yeah. And But what I'm talking about is, again, what we've been talking about here is recalibrating to the eternal. Now, if you recalibrate your life to the eternal, if you have an eternal vision, that will make you continually relevant in the temporal. Yes, okay. Our fear is that, oh, if we believe these eternal things, we become irrelevant in the present. It's actually the opposite because it gives you a viewpoint to view your culture, to view this moment, to view everything from a, the true story and something that's outside of all the idolatrous mm. four short stories. And so there's an element that the eternal word of God, God's way, God's story, God's salvation history that we're part of, our relationship with him, our connection to heaven that we get to participate in through Jesus who sits at the right hand of the father uh, is actually this greatest source of creativity yeah. that there possibly is. And the eternal in the temple always sparks innovation. 
And what happens is I feel like there's this invitation at this moment. One of my great disappointments at, at, at this time is that many leaders, when the disruption of the pandemic came, it was actually an invitation into creativity. Now, many did, many did, mm. but also many also sort of was frustrated and became, you know, over it. And, and, and it was hard, like no doubt, it was hard for yes. us, it was hard for everyone. But there's an element that one of the great rules of creativity is that limitations can act as creative stimulations. Hmm. That if you actually say to an artist, do what you want, the artist often will become blocked. Yeah, you yeah. say to an artist, hey, uh, come up with a, a, a painting, but only use your left hand. It's amazing what creative people can do yeah. when you put limitations. A film festival where every film must have a, a lemon and someone who speaks a line of Portuguese or Polish or Lithuanian. Mm, they're my favourite film festivals. Exactly. <laughs> we can, we're starting one next week. <laughs> but th th it's weird. Like If you study creativity and how it works, yeah. when we have limitations, we're forced to think differently. We're forced to come up with creative solutions. When there's no problems, there's no creativity. And I think there was a, a part of the season there where just we were running programs and doing the same things and just it was this slow, you know, little innovate, little improvements versus innovations. The time of tiny improvements is over. We're facing a challenge, but we have Jesus and we have a connection to the eternal. So when we see these limitations, whether it's like you can't meet for a period, you know, uh, there could be people listening now. There are European countries that are going back into lockdown as we speak. Mm. If you, if you, and we, we had that experience. We had an experience of opening up yeah, and then yeah, closing yeah. it down. Yeah. And, and, you have to then go not to yourself, not to what you've always done, but actually there's an incredible opportunity. And I feel that all the challenges that are coming down the road towards us, we need to learn from this season and actually say with God, they can be opportunities to innovate mm. and create. And that anything is in our environment, instead of like going, how do we just bash through what's ever happening that comes across our path and they're big, dis you know, these are distractions and disruptions. Instead, see, yeah, they may be challenges, but they also present then an opportunity and an invitation to innovate. Yeah. And so my big hope is not that, you know, like uh, I would hate it if, if literally what Rebuilders was, was just, okay, guys, here's the answer. Every <laughs> 10 practical ways to do church in a post-COVID you know, reality, here's the five ways to set up a medium-sized church and the seven programs you need to run in a secular culture that's going to bring you absolute ministry gold. Like, forget that. Like, like instead, I actually am excited that we're at this moment where with the internet, one thing the internet does do is that there is this potential and possibility as people connect themselves to the eternal God, as we dig deep into that ancient story, which is continually daily relevant, that this open source global movement of leaders around the world who are actually learning from each other. We've seen this, you, you talk to, you know, you, a lot of the discipleship programs that you run here at Red, you're talking to people around the world. How mm -hmm. are we doing this? How mm -hmm. are we learning? Like, what if this moment there was this new kind of seminary Bible college that oh, totally. wasn't an institution, just people chatting, hey, what yeah. did you do here? We've got this thing where, you know, you look at, say, governments are putting increasing, you know, restrictions in different places around, you know, perhaps even, you know, what churches can say around things like sexuality or whatever. What if actually, instead of just getting fear and reactive about that, we actually said, okay, so, wow, how are you learning in that context? How can we do this? What if there's actually an invitation is to, to actually learn something new, like new of how the scriptures uh, speak to this moment, how yeah. the people of God of history have always responded and what we can do in this moment and in this time. Uh, so I, I see this huge kind of 
new kind of perhaps almost an open source renewal, mm -hmm. which is is like a renewing and reforming of the churches, which is not just coming from a few key churches in big cities, that actually this is a global grassroots movement of renewal. Yeah, that's good. Just a, a quick thought. Um, what were the, uh, you talked about in a previous episode, the the age we've moved from, the age of moving to? Um, uh, oh, industrial to networked? Yes. Well, there's another term you use, which starts with C. Um, Compl complicated to com complex. Com yes. I feel like what, as you're talking there, often the like kind of, I think back in the last few decades, the um, where you have like, here's the 10 things to mm. do they that works really well in a complicated yes, environment yes, yes, yes. because you're like oh cool it's linear I can like step one do this step two yes. whereas in, in this complex time now it's everything's constantly changing yes and so those ten things may be great for today but tomorrow it'll yes. change in your context in whatever country you're yes. in it'll look different it'll need to translate somehow and so they be kind of become superfluous yes whereas this posture of innovation mm. has this kind of nature about it that mm. adapts to the mm. totally. complexity we're in. Totally. And and imagine if that's always happening and people are chatting and learning yeah. all the time and, oh, there's this church in Singapore which did that and these guys in Burundi which learnt that and in Montevideo and Uruguay they're saying this. Like it's been, you know, we've talked about the shift from that industrial age where it's a few central hubs yeah. and that's what it's been. It's been that Bible college at this moment. It's been that big church. It's been that few key authors, mostly in, in the US. And, you know, we th we're thankful for the great gold that has yeah, come in yeah. those moments. But now it's this globalized moment. And what if there's just this humming hub, uh, hubs, not one <laughs> hub, but hubs across the world of people sharing and learning and innovating as we all stay cr close to Jesus. Uh, I'm really excited about the possibilities totally. of what this next moment could bring. Totally. Um, just, just a question for you, and this may flow into our next posture. Like, what are we innovating towards? Mm. What's, mm. The, what's the goal? Yeah. Um, the goal is how do we be the people of God, following God's will, being a sign of the kingdom, being people who share the good news of Jesus, the gospel of, of Christ, and living that out as the church mm -hmm. in, in all these different areas is a local church doing that in different fields. Like it, it's being the foretaste of heaven on earth as it's yeah. breaking out. That's what we're doing. How do you do that though in post-Christian culture, which is continually changing? How do you do that? Uh, you know, like I'm learning stuff from people in Muslim majority countries. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating, I think, that the opportunity. So it's, it's the, the mission hasn't changed, but the contextual working out of that mission um, is what at this moment needs to be open sourced with constant referring to the eternal, to scriptures, yeah. um, and, and the spirit then quickening our ability to connect as the church, as the body, mm -hmm. like in, mm -hmm. in a way that perhaps the people of God have never had the ability to do in the whole of church history. You know, if you look, if you go back and look at theology and the letters of Paul, it was this networked thing. You know, we're going back to that now. So yeah. um, again, too, that's not like the industrial age was bad or centralized eras are bad and decentralized eras are good. We're moving, we're just that realized we're moving into a network decentralized moment. So that's probably what it's going to look like and how God's going to use it at this time. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I love that. All right. Final new posture um, of holiness. Mm or holiness, 
if you're from South Australia. Really? Holy. Okay. Well, I'll say it was my my very flat Melbourne, (laughs) you know, Melbourne rebellious, uh, not like you, (laughs) wonderful um, (laughs) non-convicts, the non-convict state. state. Uh, As a descendant of convicts, uh, I say it as holiness. Um, uh, But okay. So new posture of holiness. What do I mean by this? So first of all, the first hearing of this is, is as the world increasingly becomes chaotic in its ethical framework, like there is no dominant ethical framework increasingly mm. in the West. Like people talk about like, yes, there's the politically correct thing, but there's different definitions of that, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. changing continually. There's people who are pushing back against that. There is no, like we're increasingly moving from a centralised ethics to a decentralized ethics where there's multiple competing frames of what is doing the right thing and doing the good thing. That means yes. you are uh, you are continually confronted by the pushing of the envelope in everything at the same time, while the religious spirit coming in in secular forms at the exact same time, yeah. irreligion yeah. and religion all at the same time on hyperdrive in the metaverse. So that's going on. <laughs> but uh, I want to bring up holiness in perhaps a different way. Now- One of the ways that holiness was understood, particularly in the Old Testament, was this ritual uncleanliness and impurity. Mm. And so you were holy in that you kept distance from things which are unclean, a dead body or or unkosher food and non-kosher food. Now, Jesus changes so much of that on the cross. But I just want to bring that back. Not, not. I'm not doing some new theology here. <laughs> but, but one way we have not thought about uncleanliness is in the realm of emotions and personal toxicity. Hmm. And so there is this tremendous toxicity that, as our culture becomes more decentralized, individualism grows. The institutions, which often are imperfect, but in some ways keep the flesh you know, restrained, as they decay, uh, that there's this increased atmosphere of anything goes, toxicity, particularly in the West too, as you've got this very therapeutic driven culture yeah, yeah. where the, this language where increasingly we're, we're focused on our inner feelings. It's a feelings driven world. That's not how every culture has been throughout history. It's a very Western thing. You know, people like Philip Reef have spoken about this, um, that, to lead is increasingly to lead in a culture of serious emotional unhealth. Yeah, yeah. And so two things are happening at this time. And again, too, complicated world, there's one thing happening with yeah. one solution. Complex world, multiple things which seem contradictory are happening at the same time. Yeah. And as a leader in a complex world, you've got to get your head around that. Yes. So one example of this is at this moment of toxicity, social media, podcasts, citizen journalism, whatever you want to call it, are able to reveal toxicity within power structures and particularly power structures in the world, which were hidden for a long time because it was an institutional thing and institutions could create forms where they they hid toxic power. So what we're seeing, you know, we talked about one example we we spoke about with Terry Walling, the the Mars Hill podcast um, as an example of that where perhaps 30 40 years ago that might not have happened that might have there was well there was there was churches where that would have never come out because in a sense those lower down the rungs of a structure have been more empowered by technology Mm -hmm. um, to actually then have a voice to expose what may be happening at the top where traditionally institutions 
had an ability. Institutions are one of the few things which could communicate at a wider space beyond just the relational. Yes. But yes. now everyone has that ability yes. through technology. So what we're seeing is the first thing that's happening is toxicity is being revealed in the church. The second thing that's happening is what social media and technology has also done as we gave everyone a microphone is we've seen how toxicity is also being revealed everywhere. Yes. That people, giving people a voice is that there's some good stuff, but online spaces are increasingly seen as incredibly fraught and toxic places. Um, there's some people, the people that I know who like Twitter the most are uh, Go, even still will go, it's a pretty nasty place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, face, there's people who are just like, I got off Facebook, I just couldn't handle it anymore. Yes. Just like seeing all these people's dirty laundry aired continually. So what we're seeing is elites toxicity is revealed, but at the same time, everyone else's toxicity is revealed. Yeah. Why? Because all have fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah. Um, and so what that means is that two things are happening at the same time for leaders. And this is really key. And this is, this is a, a huge nuance that that people need to hold on to. Yes. So we're going to see two things happening at the same time. We're going to see one leaders who have been toxic in themselves, and and again, we're going to be really careful with that word toxic. Like I'm talking really, you know, like significantly bad stuff. Yeah. Um, that and we're seeing that, and that's being revealed, and that's a form of judgment against that, and leading in ways which are not Jesus-like. At the same time, we're seeing this other thing where leaders are also having to themselves lead people who themselves are toxic, mm -hmm. and that's causing a, a cost on leaders. And so there's two things happening at the same time, yeah. and it's really difficult to hold them two together because what we want to do is we want to just run with one or the other. And so hmm. I think a lot of – like we, we did the episode on – the Mars Hill podcast. So if people want to hear more on that side of it, go back to that. I encourage you what Terry Bolling had to say was really, really helpful. But on the other side of what I'm hearing, which is getting less press, is leaders who are just being absolutely eaten alive by toxicity. Now, there's a lot of talk about polarization. And I think polarization, re yes, it's a political dynamic. And again, we've spoken about that multiple times on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. But also what it is, is it's also reflective of an increasing emotional toxicity that radical indiv individualism has brought mm, <laughs> and mm. the therapeutic self. And so people screaming at each other over politics or the pandemic actually can mask something else that's going on, that leaders are being eaten alive by really unhealthy people. And sometimes those people and the leaders, let's go back to point number one, have... <laughs> Yeah. A posture of joy. Yeah. Have this concept that, hang on, life is meant to make me happy all the time. It's not. And I'm angry and I'm acting that in dysfunctional ways by leaders and in ministry as seen as you're here to make us feel good all the time. And there's plenty of leaders as the world becomes less like that are copying a backlash. Am I, am I dismissing, just to make this absolutely crystal clear, am I, I'm not here talking about the Mars Hill type stuff. I, I, that is genuine. That's something else. What I'm talking about is your ordinary pastor or leader who increasingly is spending so many hours in their day dealing with super dysfunctional people. And now I'm not talking necessarily about people who are coming from what we what I think in the past, like I remember when I started ministry, there was almost like you'd have churches and you may have some people who come to that church who may have a history of 
um, addictions to substances or perhaps there's just some personal brokenness in their lives and, and you know, which is manifest in some really bad ways and you deal with them. And then you had this other group of people, whether because they were cultural Christians mm. or whatever, were sort of functional people, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, served the, I'm not talking about people who are coming from, you know, significant backgrounds of abuse or alcoholism or, or any of these things. I'm talking about just a generalized atmosphere of, toxic emotions and behavior, which is growing in our culture right. and is eating pastors alive. Right. And, and, and sometimes it's even done by pastors themselves. It's like, it's like everywhere, yeah, you know? Okay, okay. So, you know, I, I want to read a quote here from a really interesting um, uh, interview that was controversial between Stanley Harris, the um, theologian and Will Willimon. Uh, it appeared in uh, the Christian Century magazine, and I read it, and it's one of those ones where you you put it down, and you're like, "Whoa, hmm. this is fairly recent." Uh, uh, I think it's fairly recent. Yeah, it yeah. is actually in the last couple of years. Okay. Maybe it was like last year at the latest. And effectively, what they said is they began to deconstruct the idea of what pastoral care has become. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And effectively, their sort of argument is that pastoral care in middle and upper middle class churches in many places has actually become about satiating the needs of affluent people's failing life projects <laughs> and making people feel good. I'm going to read you a quote from Will Willimon before I go into the quote. Now, it got backlash. I don't know if I necessarily agree. I'm still sitting on it. Yeah, okay. okay. But I think there's something in there. Yeah, yeah. And maybe they express it in their sort of like, they're older guys. They don't care anymore. They're like they're not trying to impress <laughs> anyone, um, and and maybe they get some wrong, and maybe they you know all of that. There's multiple caveats I could insert, but I think there's something there. So just this quote from Will Willimon: "I've told seminarians that ministry defined as meeting people's needs is dangerous in a society where the more affluent and privileged among us have solved with a credit card most of our biblical needs like food, housing, and clothing." So we move on to assuaging personal needs the Bible doesn't give a rip about, meaning-making, a purpose-driven life, balance, freedom from anxiety, or a sense of personal well-being. Fulfillment of desire becomes elevated to the level of need, and need gets jacked up to the status of a right, because my desires are a bottomless pit. No wonder so many clergy become exhausted rushing about in service of my right to be cared for. Running errands for the anxiously affluent is hardly worth a life. It's challenging and confronting and it's easy for me to put this article away and not read it. And even when I read it, I was like, should I share this with people? Mm. Like, but I just have a sense there's something there. Yeah, okay. There's going to be people go, yeah, well, what about this? Yeah, exactly. But I think there is a prophetic resonance in this we need mm. to hear. I'm increasingly seeing people in ministry burnt out by exactly what he's talking about here. Yeah, okay. Some of the polarization is a political mask for what he's just unmasked here. Again, there's nuances. Is it all? No. Uh, you know, again, yeah, you yeah, can shoot true. us down with any caveats because it's a podcast and anything can be interpreted in multiple ways. But I feel there's this sense that there's a real moment coming out of, or coming into this gray zone where the world which promised us this environment to realize our individual radical plans of life, mm -hmm. to assuage all these things, that 
people are profoundly disorientated and ministers are copying that. And yes, there are ministers who have been toxic and made mistakes and all of that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about good men and women who are listening right now, who have literally had their butts kicked. It'd be interesting, I think, how I saw Willemon use the example of it's like being attacked by a duck, like slowly killed by yeah, a duck. It's just like, week, like yeah, you know, yeah. if you think of duck, I've been bitten by a duck. I got bitten by a geese once at, at, uh, at the park and okay? it didn't, I'm okay, I've, I've lived, okay. didn't like break any skin, but it was just like this hard yeah, yeah, like yeah. thing. And it's just this slowly week after week of people who want you to meet their, these, middle upper class 21st century self-actualization needs does the bible call you to meet those needs yes um and because we don't meet those needs there's then this codependent cycle where people lash out when we don't yeah yeah and i just feel that part of this great resignation that we're seeing in the church yeah, there's elements around the pandemic. Yep, there's stuff around politics. Absolutely. Yes, there is perhaps reasons people said yes to ministry and they've been taken on a discernment process of whether they want to say yes to this. Perhaps they've been goaded into it when it wasn't the right thing. All of that, again, a million caveats. But I actually think there's part of this is just people are like, I didn't sign up to this. Mm-hmm. And I want to say you don't have to. <laughs> like now earlier – I'm just going to share a mm. background thing here uh, about our podcast and Daniel's interactions and I before. Before you bumped into me as you were setting up and I was coming out of my office and I was like, good day, sir. That was a bit of an awkward, awkward greeting. The reason why was I had just seen an article on the news. Now, I'm pretty... I look at a lot of news and increasingly you see things like there's, there's terrorism and, and horrible things happening in the world. You become desensitized. And I'd just seen like a, a video in an article and the reason I was awkward because I'd actually been weeping. Yeah. And I was sort of like pulling myself together. Oh, my goodness, you're weeping at a, at a news article. But it was just like a particularly devastating video I saw, which it wasn't about violence, but it was effectively, and I won't go into all all of it, but a, a young boy who'd been neglected by his parents and had passed away in the UK. And there was a video of a home, you know, there's like those videos which have for kids. And he was he was he was by himself and he he passed away not long after that. And he through neglect and and he was basically like saying you could hear him on the video saying, no one loves me. My parents don't love me enough to feed me. And I watched that and I just, I was wrecked. Mm. <laughs> and like, because that's not just his story. There is in our suburbs and neighborhoods, there, there's people hurting like that. Yeah. And so what am I saying here? I'm, not, I'm not saying don't do pastoral care. No, I, more than ever, we need pastoral care. I think of the need at this moment of tremendous emotional toxicity, the cost that it has on children and families Mm -hmm. and people. And so I think about leaders at this moment and we can have these huge conversations and talk about the metaverse and talk about the big programs we should be doing and vast church planting enterprise and all this stuff and all of that's, yeah, okay, that's important. But I just sort of have this sense that 
at this moment, there are people listening who perhaps are discerning, do they keep going and who feel profoundly discouraged at this moment, who feel like they're being attacked by ducks or perhaps more vicious creatures who, who are not, not overt, maybe you've not been perfect and maybe you look back on your leadership journey and there's things that you've stuffed up and messed up. But I just thought of a picture that's in my mum's lounge room and it's a picture from the 19th century and I think it's on a bridge in London and it's during the Industrial Revolution and I'm not about to cry on a podcast, <laughs> goodness me. Yeah. There, there is this Salvation Army officer, young woman, picking up a, a sort of starving boy mm. on this bridge in London and I, that's what we're called to do. Mm. That's why we need leaders to go on. Mm. That's why we need a renewal. There is so much sin and brokenness in the world. And so sort of like where we get to at the end, um, you know, I don't want rebuilds to ever be some giant intellectual self-congratulatory listen and wow your friends with the latest crazy trend happening in the world or yeah. theory or whatever. All of that stuff is done purely to help us think well and discern the culture. But at the end of the day, it's not just about head, it's actually about heart. Yeah. And, and there's so many good people listening. And, and, and it's not about the size of your church. It's not about how many people in your church think you're the best leader in the world. What it is, is, is a heart after God and heart after God's justice, a heart after binding up the broken and the poor. And there are other boys and girls out there who, who need our love, men and women, who are hurting and this world is hurting and the answer is Jesus living through you. And so, you know, at this moment, like, goodness me. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, at this moment, like, if you're feeling discouraged but you also know you're called, I think the big message is keep going. Mm. Keep going. That's good. I'm done. Goodness <laughs> me. Actually, I actually just really feel prompted to pray for our listeners. Let's do it. Is that all right? Yeah. Finish off. Father, Son, and Spirit, you are good. You are holy. You are above all, and you see each one of us. I thank you for the ways that you have invaded our lives, that you've revealed yourself to us, your Spirit has been actively and continues to be actively at work, transforming us into people of holiness, uh, people of joy, of faith, of hope, of innovation. Um, and I pray at this time in, this, in, in our world that you would rally our hearts and our minds to your purposes again, to your heart for the nations, mm -hmm. to your heart for the local, that we would... Uh, be people that would embody your truth, um, your love, your grace um, to the world around us. Um, yeah, so I, I just want to speak a blessing mm -hmm. in the name of Jesus over, over every person listening mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. um, God, would you do your good work in them? Would you do your good work in this world? Um, mm -hmm. And would you send us out um, as your ambassadors of, of light mm -hmm. and salt in the world? Mm. In your name, Jesus, amen. Mm. Well, I'd like to thank our listeners. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's just been really cool. Oh, goodness, look at me. Look at what's <laughs> going on. That's what happens when we don't have pastries. <laughs> I didn't expect this to happen. <laughs> goodness me. This does, I don't think I've ever heard a podcast where someone's like, <laughs> comes emotional and starts crying. And it happened to me. Why me? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just been fantastic. I just, mm. um, you know, we as we, we mentioned before, we started this during the pandemic and just thanks to all the listeners and thanks to all the messages and support. Yeah. And again, too, like we don't give a, you know, uh, uh, stuff about like <laughs> building some big empire here or anything. It's not even empire, it's a desk. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, it just like, I think the, 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 the best reward for doing this is, is knowing that there's people out there and we mm. sometimes look at that. Not that we look at this. I'm always obsessed with the geostats. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not, the, not obsessed with the geostats, but I love seeing people listening oh, to and just seeing, all over the world. Yeah. And so we know there's people listening in every continent and all over the world. And we know that most of you are young. We also welcome those who are not young. <laughs> but I just want to just, yeah, just just really encourage you at this moment. Um, yeah, as I said, to keep going. Thank you so much for your support. We yeah. know that many of you send messages and we, we do this on top of ministries and we're not always able to get back to people. But we do really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, we just feel excited about the world i yeah thank you to you daniel thank you to mm. liddy who's not yeah. here who who make all this like you know uh, happen in such incredible ways i saw of these guys when the pandemic started you know this was going to be a, a making for in many ways a sort of next generation of leaders and i've seen this with these guys and and really just been thankful to god to see that but i know it's happening out there mm. uh to others listening and um that's the end. How do we end this? What do uh, we do? Well, we thank you as well, Mark, um, for your contribution, your your leadership, your your heart, um, where God uses you. So thank you, thank you for listening. We yeah, that concludes us for this year. Um, unless we decide this, unless something incredible happens. Oh, if in there's somewhere and we're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. let's get back on. But otherwise, yeah, yeah. we're we'll be back next. The year. metaverse explodes. <laughs> Well, it was a short lived. It, it gets hit by an Elon Musk rocket falling back to Earth. Um, can, can I just also thank God? Like, like what, what an absolute ripper. God, we follow. Like, like I know that sounds funny. <laughs> so Aussie. Sorry, that was so Aussie. Um, but, but, but it is like, yeah, if you just think everything we've gone through the last two years, mm. like it's just, I, I would have thought, if you told me this was coming and here in Melbourne, we wouldn't meet for this long as church. I just sort of thought we'd be down and out. But like, look what God's done. Just yeah. incredible what God's done. So, yeah. um, you know, all praise to yeah, God. Amen. Well, thank you for listening or watching. Uh, you can find out more by heading to rebuilders.co. Um, subscribe to our mailing list or support us um, by leaving a review or a donation. Um, but, uh, yeah, until next time, it's been a pleasure. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Yeah. Catch up.